At Arizona State University, we offer a wide variety of degree programs online to match all kinds of interests and career aspirations. Programs that are taught by the same notable faculty who teach on campus and designed using innovative technology to improve learning outcomes and equip you for post-graduation success. That's why 87% of ASU online graduates indicated they were promoted at work or received an increase in salary after earning their degree. Find your program at asuonline.asu.edu. Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes, and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you could see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The poll book is completely off. Completely off. Off that by 30,000? I'd say that poll book is off by over 100,000. That how- poll book? Why don't you look at the registered voters on there? How many registered voters are on there? Did you, do you even know the answer to that? No, I guess it's, I'm trying to get to the bottom zero. of this here. Zero. There's zero. So my question then is if the guess how many wait what about what about how what, what about about the turnout rate 120 percent let's uh, let's let representative johnson ask his question please. <laughs> this is michael cohen and you're listening to the mea culpa week in review the week that passed saw the first inkling of the trump pardon palooza to come with sources close to the president telling the new york times that the president fearful of retribution from the biden administration has spoken to his advisors about preemptively pardoning Don Jr., Eric, son-in-law Jared Kushner, Ivanka, and even creepy Uncle Rudy, who has affixed himself to Trump like an inoperable fucking hemorrhoid. This, of course, is the first time in history an outgoing president has had to think about pardoning his entire family to protect them from future prosecution. Then again, it's also the first time in history that a sitting president has run his administration like a mafia family. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man! What's the matter with you? Trump has so far granted 29 pardons, including one last week for disgraced former national security advisor Michael Flynn for lying to the FBI and the potential related crimes that Flynn could have faced in the future. As for his children, ABC News reported that the push for preemptive pardons actually began early in the year, around the time of Trump's impeachment trial. At the time of the discussions were, according to sources, a series of hypotheticals 
they have now picked up pace furiously as those who face potential culpability scramble to either hide their crimes and destroy evidence or beg daddy for a pardon. President Trump may soon wield the power of the pardon in unprecedented ways. Multiple sources say the president is weighing whether to preemptively pardon family members and several of his close associates. Among the names the president has discussed behind the scenes, the oldest three of his five children, Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, as well as his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Sources tell ABC News the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is also among those who in recent weeks directly asked President Trump for a preemptive pardon, though Giuliani denies it. Let's just break down uh, crystal clear what's being considered here. We're talking about pardons being issued before the president leaves office for people who've not even been charged with the crime. A preemptive get at a jail free card before a crime has even been committed, possibly for friends, family, even the president himself. All of this comes on the heels of Sean Hannity floating the idea on his show. The Fox News host and Trump ally said on Monday that given the animosity from Democrats directed at Mr. Trump, the president should consider pardoning his entire family. If Biden ever became president, I tell Trump, pardon yourself and pardon your family, Mr. Hannity told his viewers. You know, I'm, I watched Andrew Weissman come out and literally say, oh, Biden's AG needs to go after Donald Trump. And I'm like, the president out the door needs to pardon his whole family and himself because they want this witch hunt to go on in perpetuity. They're so full of rage and insanity against the president. I mean, it's can, can the president, I, I assume that the power of the pardon uh, is absolute and that he should be able to pardon anybody that he wants to. First, let's recap who has done what alleged crimes and how much trouble they are all potentially facing. I'll tell you what, it's an organized crime family as far as I'm concerned. Don Jr. was under investigation by Robert Mueller during the Russia probe for contact he'd had with Russian agents offering potentially damning information about Hillary Clinton during the 2016 campaign. Mueller considered charging various Trump campaign officials in connection with the now infamous June 2016 meeting, but ultimately neglected to do so. Don Jr. was let off the hook, not because he wasn't culpable for serious criminal indictment under the law, but because Mueller ultimately decided that he was too fucking stupid to know that he was committing a crime. Russian mobsters and corrupt oligarchs use Trump's properties not only to launder vast sums of money, but even as a base of operations for their criminal activity. Money tied to human trafficking and prostitution rings, that's another big one. Boy Prince Jared Kushner provided federal authorities with false information about his contacts with foreign entities when applying for his security clearance which can be charged as a federal crime, even though the president decided to give him one anyway. But this may prove to be just the tip of a very large iceberg for Kushner, who has hovered in the background of nearly every shady and potentially illegal Trump decision since taking office. Jared Kushner was denied security clearance over concerns about foreign influence, private business interests. Do you pose a grave national security concern to the country? The curious coincidence of Jared Kushner's failure to secure an investment from Qatar before he advised Donald Trump to support the Saudis' damaging blockade against the country. The crown prince is boasting that Kushner was, quote, in his pocket. Eric Trump, who has been left unattended to run the Trump organization alongside his idiot brother while their father looted the country, recently sat for a deposition from the New York Attorney General's investigation into whether the family business falsely inflated the value of its assets to secure loans and tax benefits. Unfortunately for Eric, 
His father's pardon powers do not cover state and local crimes. So whatever likely bullshit he told Letitia James, it's gonna bite him in the ass in the form of a perjury charge. There are new questions tonight about the Eric Trump Foundation. Charity golf events meant to raise money for children with cancer. Hundreds of thousands of dollars went to the Trump family business. It's a crime family. He's following his father. Even the supposedly perfect and pure Ivanka has found herself in the legal crosshairs of Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance's expanded probe into the Trump Organization after it was revealed she was the beneficiary of millions of dollars in tax write-offs from her father. Ivanka Trump, her business won trademark approvals in China the same day she met the Chinese president at her father's Mar-a-Lago resort. Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner made at least $82 million last year while serving as unpaid White House advisors. Again, local charges are exempt from the president's pardoning power. In a November 19 tweet, Princess Ivanka sounded off huffily in a let them eat cake disclaimer of those who sought to investigate her. This is harassment, pure and simple. This inquiry by New York City Democrats is 100% motivated by politics, publicity, and rage. They know very well that there's nothing here and that there was no tax benefit whatsoever. These politicians are simply ruthless. Being the shamelessly corrupt con man that he is, Trump is aware that his children have likely committed a vast array of crimes beyond what was already been enumerated and seeks to widen his pardon for crimes they have already committed to ones they may commit in the future. The legal reasoning on Trump's part, being that the insatiable liberal conspiracy to destroy him will turn its focus upon his children and such a blanket pardon is needed to protect them from these evil monsters. As the Times notes, no president has ever attempted to pardon someone for crimes they have not yet committed. Essentially a prospective get-out-of-jail-free card. And unsurprisingly, legal experts believe such an action would be unlikely to hold any weight. But that won't stop Trump from even trying. Um, you know, if you haven't done anything wrong, you sit there and go, what do you need a preemptive pardon for? The president will say it's because he's worried about all these witch hunts and bogus investigations. But just remember, in order for someone to go to prison, a jury of civilians needs to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt unanimously. So this isn't a question of um, an, a different administration just being able to lock somebody up. So now, on to Rudy. <laughs> I have given much attention here to his stunning downfall and will continue to do so if only because Rudy is such a fascinating, operatic figure of doom and failure. Someday, we will know the entire truth about his relationship with Donald Trump, and what is revealed, I assure you, will be both shocking and sad. At the same time, what could Rudy possibly have on President that Trump keeps this man around despite his stunning incompetence? A lot! The man has dementia. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I've talked to doctors. I've had them look at a hundred different tapes of his. Look, look, wait. Oh, uh, uh, uh. He, can't, he can't recite the Pledge of Allegiance and he's fine. One nation under God. Um, uh, 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 I, I think uh, he can't do numbers. Wow. You couldn't even answer the last five questions. Well, one of them was count back from a hundred by seven. He actually displays symptoms that two gerontologists told me are classic symptoms of middle-level dementia. Donald Trump, yeah, Donald Trump. That's a classic symptom 
in the DSM-5 of dementia. He's got, he's got, he's got eight of the ten. Maybe he's taken Adderall or uh, a, uh, some kind of attention deficit disorder. Right. And then they're going to say, you know, this guy's really... He directed the December assault. It's not just my opinion. It's the opinion of a number of doctors I've actually, uh, you know, interviewed. This is a relationship built on compromise and mutually assured destruction. Rudy, being Rudy, he has fucked up everything he has touched, including every legal motion pertaining to the president's baseless claims of election fraud. Every time fucking Rudy opens his mouth, he embarrasses himself and the president. The man has turned debasement into an art form. He is the sniveling, smigling Lord of the Rings or one of a half dozen William H. Macy characters. He's a loser, always has been, always will be. He is the ultimate beta male seeking retribution. The stains dripping across his face, the fucking bug eyes, the drunken camera appearances. We are watching a man destroy himself in front of our very eyes, and I, for one, cannot look away. It would just be fantastic theater if he were not so dangerous a figure. He's like a chimpanzee with a machine gun. So what the hell does he want? Most likely, one of those pardons, my precious. Why does he cry, Giuliani reportedly has been under investigation by the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office for over a year. His close associates, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, are awaiting trial on fraud and campaign finance charges, in part over their business, Fraud Guarantee, which paid Giuliani $500,000 in 2018. Prosecutors may also be scrutinizing Giuliani's role in eliciting Ukraine's help in smearing Joe Biden in exchange for the release of military aid, the bribery scheme that led to Trump's impeachment. In addition, Giuliani's involvement in the removal of the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine could form the basis of a charge that Giuliani violated the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Now at five, two South Florida businessmen and the role they've allegedly played in the president's efforts to have Ukraine investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son. Parnas and Fruman were arrested around 6 p.m. last night at Dulles Airport as they were about to board an international flight with one-way tickets. Ultimately, Rudy will get his preemptive pardon from the president as long as he continues to be the loudest voice in the room for Trump's legal fight to overturn the election. Rudy will continue to line his own pockets, and we know how it all benefits Trump after it was revealed by the Washington Post that he has raised an outstanding $170 million since the election in small-dollar donations from his MAGA faithful for his so-called election defense fund. He needs the con to continue and for Rudy to play the carnival barker. If the price of admission is a shady pardon, who gives a shit? Trump will do whatever it takes to keep the money flowing. License to kill gophers by the government of the United Nations. Man, free to kill gophers at will. To kill, you must know your enemy. In this case, my enemy is a varmint. And a varmint will never quit, ever. They like the Viet Cong. Varmint Cong. 
So what you gotta do, you gotta fall back with superior firepower and superior intelligence. And that's how she wrote. And now for the main event. My next guest had a terrible misfortune of spending countless hours with Donald Trump in the pretend boardroom created for him on the set of The Apprentice. Penn Gillette, the legendary magician, entertainer, atheist, skeptic, and all-around good guy, was a cast member for two seasons on Celebrity Apprentice, beginning in 2012. Penn enjoyed the experience wholeheartedly and threw himself into the pretend machinations of the show. In Donald Trump, he saw an obsessive, narcissistic maniac, seemingly custom-built for reality television. He said of Trump, You want someone capricious and crazy with no filter, and that's what we got. So he makes arbitrary decisions, and the human brain tries desperately to make those make sense, and that ends up being some kind of entertainment. Most people, though, are only interested in the supposed apprentice tapes that are said to exist of Trump uttering the N-word and other racist, homophobic, and misogynist tidbits. It was in the boardroom, between takes and often during takes, when Trump, undisciplined and vulgar at the best of times, would unload on whoever happened to be around. For much of 2012 and 2013, that happened to be Penn Gillette. While he confirms the existence of these tapes, they are not as black and white as some people would hope. The answer is, instead, far more ugly, sad, and frankly, weirder than anyone could imagine. And this is coming from the director of The Aristocrats, a documentary about the filthiest, most disgusting joke ever told. Let's listen now to that conversation. So, Penn, you were recently part of a CNN roundtable of actors and artists who were all called in to discuss what comes next in the wake of the election. And in it, you wrote the following. I've never seen Joe as a hero, but now we need a Nelson Mandela. We need a Martin Luther King, and it needs to be Joe. We need someone who can love the people who hated him and lied about him. He must rise to the occasion. How do you think President-elect Biden achieves this goal when so many Trump supporters don't recognize his victory, much less believe in basic facts? I, I just I just don't know how that's done, but I do know that uh, so far he's doing um, he's doing kind of okay because he's not uh, rising to the to the bait. You know they uh, they often say that the one of the one of the many terrible things about Hitler is he turned his opponents into him, and one of the things that's troubled me so much lately is my liberal friends and how full of how full of hate they are and i think the best thing about joe biden and this kind of contradicts what i said but but not really is that he's not a savior he's not a messiah i mean many people saw obama as a, a, a huge step for the country as a real savior is riding out on hope and then kind of the reciprocal people, many of the reciprocal people saw Trump as some sort of savior. And what I'm really looking for is someone who makes me not think about the president every second. I want someone boring. I someone, want someone full of platitudes. You know, I, I often thought it'd be wonderful to have a president who was unfiltered 
and spoke his mind. And I think I was wrong. I think I was really wrong about that. I think we need a president who is dull and platitudes and kind of um, milk toast. Somebody who's empathetic and who understands that the whole country is not here for his amusement and his right and his yeah where, yeah where the president thinks about someone or something other than himself. It really is uh, remarkable. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know Trump as well as you as you do, of course. But I did uh, two tours of duty on Celebrity Apprentice, and um, got to spend I don't know. Uh, just a couple hours talking with him, I suppose. I really have never, and I want to point out that I have uh, I have been homeless. I've lived on the streets. I'm carny trash. And I have never met anyone who had that complete lack of shame and complete lack of concern for others. I mean, even staying in biker clubhouses, I never... I never encountered that. And as a um, as a reality show host, there was amusement and entertainment to that. In a position of um, of real power, it was it was kind of horrific. <laughs> you know, it's interesting though that you brought up Nelson Mandela because I talk about that in my book Disloyal, that when Nelson Mandela, who I too considered to be really more than just a pioneer for South Africa, but the savior and somebody who should have been relished as a human being. Donald Trump didn't see it that way. And again, I talk about it in the book, where he basically asked me the question after he was reading about Nelson Mandela's passing. Name another country that has a black running it that's not a shithole. And I turned around and I said to him straight off the rip, well, what about the United States? And he turns around, and he goes, fuck you. Just like that. I mean, it's, it's in the book, right? Because he didn't see Nelson Mandela as, a, as a, um, a true hero of the country. He saw him as a black man, and he saw the country in the way that only he can see it. Because I've said it a million times, Donald Trump is a racist. Yeah, I think, I think there's no doubt about that. You know, I um, uh, when I... Uh, I was interviewed quite a bit um, about whether I ever heard uh, Trump use the N-word. And uh, I said that uh, I had never heard him do that and didn't remember it. And uh, 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 people like Colbert uh, jumped on me and said, well, you know, you can't even remember that one word. What's wrong with you? And I was so shocked because if you need a two-bit Las Vegas magician to tell you that Donald Trump is a racist, I mean, frankly, we don't even need you, Michael. It's in his policies. It's in his carriage. It's in everything he does. We, You don't need you to tell us he's racist. It was very, very clear. And the idea of not being able to see Nelson Mandela as a hero is appalling. When I, when I read that in your book, I, it's, it's sickening because the idea that a, that a person who was imprisoned could come out and, and embrace his captors for the good of his country 
is like things we've rarely seen in history. Well, or like the way what happened with John McCain, right? A man who had the ability to leave captivity, but decided he was going to stay with his men. According to Trump, he's obviously not a hero because he got captured. I mean, I saw a great <laughs> meme that had a picture of, of Donald Trump to the left and a picture of, of um, McCain to John McCain to the right. And under Trump's, it turned around and said, POS, meaning piece of shit. And under McCain's, it said POW. I just thought it was a very telling meme. So obviously, it's important not to villainize our friends and our neighbors, because I do believe it's necessary what we're doing to repudiate Trumpism as an ideology, or it leaves the door open for him to return to the arena, or worse, a slicker, a smarter, a more capable version of Donald Trump will ultimately walk through that door. How do you walk the line of repudiating these beliefs without villainizing people for believing them in the first place? I think that one of the mistakes we've made uh, so deeply since Eisenhower is to give the president more and more power. Uh, we One of the things we can do to stop someone coming along, uh, a slicker version of Donald Trump, is to give the president less power, to kind of corral that power to where it was originally supposed to be and give more power back to Congress. I mean, the only saving grace we had with Donald Trump is that he is simply not that smart. He just does not have that much processing power. And uh, we've known for a long time that a complete lack of shame uh, is incredibly powerful. Uh, and a lack of shame coupled with uh, an intelligence would be, I think, fatal to our country. And uh, I was one of the people who was so deeply, deeply wrong. I mean, in the um, early 90s, I've always been an early adopter, and I've always been pro-technology. Uh, you can find me, like like everybody who was thinking about the future, of the internet. I mean, I was back, I had email back when it was DARPA now. It was still just defense. And um, I thought that taking the gatekeepers down and having uh, everybody have their voice, more democracy uh, on what we were envisioning for news was going to be a good thing. And now we found that uh, giving people um, power to broadcast hugely all over the world without uh, without any gatekeepers checking the facts is really, really dangerous. And I'm hoping that what happened with commercials will also happen with Twitter and Facebook and so on. When, when commercials first hit, when ads first hit, people really believed them. And it took them uh, a while to develop a kind of skepticism toward what we uh, read and heard with people trying to sell us something. And I hope we can get that with the news again. I mean, I find I have to do certain hygiene things myself. I cannot read Twitter raw, and I cannot read Facebook raw, because I find that I remember information without remembering the source. And that's very, very dangerous. So I find I can only read 
sources that I um, that I know uh, have some respect for the facts. I read the New York Times not because I agree with their editorial pro, uh, policies, which I often don't, but because I do think that they are careful in vetting their sources and their information. And I think that more people will learn that they can't just throw into their heads things that they agree with and let it roll around in there. I mean, the stuff that's happening with QAnon is is so frightening and so beyond Trump. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Penn. Do you believe then that Trump should be prosecuted for the various state and federal crimes that are potentially looming once he leaves office? Or do you think that President-elect Biden should extend him a pardon for the sake of healing the nation when he ultimately gets inaugurated? I think there's there's no doubt in my mind that uh, that Biden should pardon him completely for all federal crimes. Uh, I don't think we want to go through the kind of trial we'd have to go through for Trump. I don't think I don't think we want to see that. I don't think it brings any good. Um, also, Biden cannot pardon him for state crimes, and I think that uh, that New York will come down on him like a ton of bricks. Um, I also have uh, uh, I have a very odd and unpopular. Um, point of view about punishment. I don't believe in vindication. Uh, It may be, and I say this with a great deal of hesitation, that I don't believe in justice in a certain sense. Uh, I want people to be stopped from doing damage, but I don't want them to be punished. I mean, there's there's, there's sometimes this glee when um, people who've done horrific things go to prison Uh, where you see even people uh, hoping they'll be raped and hoping they'll be beaten and hoping they'll be, uh, they'll suffer greatly. I never want that. I mean, Mark David Chapman, uh, after he shot John Lennon, I didn't want him to suffer. I just wanted him away from society where he couldn't do it again. You know, Mark David Chapman had a list of other people he was going to kill. I wanted him to not be able to fulfill that list, but I also didn't want him to suffer. And I believe that Trump, who has done more damage to the things I love than anyone else I can think of, I don't want him to suffer. I just want him to stop. And I think that uh, by prosecution and by um, lots of trials and so on, I think that the suffering that our country has endured would continue. And I realize this is an unpopular position. And I realize I might also be wrong. But I'm talking about what's in my heart. I just want him to stop. I don't want him to suffer. Right. I would agree with you. I mean, I happen to like the way you're coming from because it is coming from a good place in your heart. I'm not in that place right now because I've suffered so much at the hands of Donald Trump. For no so shit. Long. Right. <laughs> you know, and watching my I family. Think that's well documented. Yeah. Sure. And watching my family suffer and the pain that they went through because he had to get his pecker pulled by a porn star. I'm all for prosecuting Trump when he's out of office. And I've been assistive with both the state 
um, AG as well as the DA. And I, I want to see all of those who have violated the law stand before the judge as I did and take responsibility for the things that they are guilty of. You know, my father actually has a line which is in line with what you had just said. My father truly believes that we are a country of laws with no justice. And I, and I fear that if, in fact, that the president is not, and his children, and Kushner, and Mark Meadows, and, Jim, and the rest of these sycophantic fools, if they're not prosecuted, then, one, it does open up the door for somebody who's slicker, smarter, and more adept than Donald Trump. But more than that, it destroys the entire line that became a democratic principle, that no one is above the law. And that includes the former president of the United States, because he has done things that no other president has ever done. And he has done things that legitimately are criminal. And he should stand, he should stand before a judge and accept sentence for his dirty deeds and for his guilty acts. Now, that's, again, coming from my dark place. I kind of like better where you come from. I'll tell you, uh, I agree with every single thing you said, um, I cannot imagine uh, trying to have, let me just say, my point of view is a, uh, is a point of view from a position of luxury. I don't, have, uh, I don't have a fucking bracelet on my ankle. You know, I'm not under house arrest. And I was not um, uh, destroyed uh, the way you were. And uh, I don't want to, please, please don't consider me to be um, uh, judgmental of your position at all. Uh, I am in a very, um, uh, a position of luxury and a position of privilege to not have to feel uh, the things you felt. And the position of nobody being above the law has to be bedrock of our country. And I don't want you to think that I'm I'm throwing that out. Uh, and I think you understand that I'm just seeing that that the trial and more hatred is heartbreaking. But you could very easily convince me that going through that heartbreak was worth it to show that no one was above the law and to try to stop this from ever happening again. Uh, in other words, I think we could have this discussion, and I believe you could win. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, Penn, as a magician and a professional skeptic, technically, you're in the business of obscuring the truth. And it's kind of how you make your living. Describe for me how you view the president's baseless claims of election fraud and how they get picked up and propagated within the right-wing media ecosystem. Because to me, it's almost magic in itself on how he's able to conjure a bullshit out of the thin air and make people believe it's the truth. Uh, this is going to sound very self-serving, but I, I will try to explain that away. Uh, what we do in magic is much more difficult than what Donald Trump is doing. Because magic... Uh, as it's used today, not in, not in any sort of spiritual sense, but as an entertainment sense, um, is a very moral position because we are telling you that we're going to lie to you 
and then we're lying to you. So within the proscenium of the stage, uh, we are playfully uh, telling you stuff when you know that what we're telling you is not going to be true. It is a playful epistemological study. It's it's dealing with something that's the most important, which is how we determine truth, but dealing with it in a playful and silly way in a Las Vegas theater. There's this um, horrible thing that uh, it turns out that much of truth has to be self-policing. I mean, when I say something that's not true, and I say it outside of um, outside of my profession, outside of that proscenium, I feel a burning in my chest of conscience. Uh, my conscience comes in and causes me a physical effect. And I believe that's true for almost everyone. Uh, Trump is able to lie until he believes things. And we've also found out with a lot of studies that if you repeat something, even to negate it, you give memory and power to that. And finding that out on Twitter is, is just horrific. I mean, the numbers that are coming out for the number of people that believe that this last election, which is arguably the fairest in the nation's history, is somehow tainted, is horrible. And there is no cleverness. I mean, that's the thing that I think you and I both know, and you probably know it better than me, is there's no intelligence, there's no cleverness, there's no plot, there's no heist, there's no brains, there's nothing but raw, fucking, ugly lying from Trump. He just repeats that the um, election was fixed and that it was rigged. He repeats those words over and over again. He doesn't even have, and I'm using this word very broadly, the decency to run a scam to support that. <laughs> you know, if you were writing this in a novel, you would have this evil president having some sort of... Um, mechanism for the voting to have been rigged. He would have some sort of person willing to lie at a lower level to back up what he said. He would have more than dead South American dictators <laughs> to, to, to support it. It's just amazing. He just says this is the way it is and says it enough. And um, the coastal elites have been treating some people in this country so badly that all they wanted out of Trump was fuck you. And that's what they got. I mean, I'm always reminded of um, 1968 when the yippies, um, you know, Jerry Rubin, Abby Hoffman, et cetera, ran a pig for uh, president. And they ran a pig for president as a symbolic gesture. To, um, to show that the system was corrupt. And I think what happened four years ago was another group of people did that again, but they ran a human pig named Donald Trump, and then he won. 
And he was sent to the White House in order to say, fuck you to the elites. And he's been completely and utterly successful in that. And that's the thing that's so heartbreaking. It's possible that some of the people, and I, I try not to do us and them, so I'll try to do a very difficult sentence for me and to say some of us that voted for Donald Trump voted for him just to get the fuck you that was delivered. And uh, I don't mean that I voted for Trump, but I do mean that us Americans and in a bigger sense, human beings voted for Trump. And we have to try to um, let those people know that the uh, the people they wanted to say fuck you to um, can, can still love them and st can still care about them. I mean, I uh, did not properly finish high school. Uh, I am 65 years old. I am white. I am from a dead factory town in Western Massachusetts. And I am exactly in, in, in Trump's followers, except for, um, except for my income. But, you know, we, we talked about magic and so on. And I truly believe that what Donald Trump is doing, when I was a young kid for, I think it was either Hanukkah or for Christmas, New Year's, I got a magic kit. I must have been seven or eight years old. And I'm reading the book and it talks about misdirection. And I truly, I, I couldn't do it. My, my hands weren't right. It, you know, there, there are certain qualities that you have to have. I don't have it when it comes to doing magic. Right. So I tried, but it didn't really work. I truly believe that misdirection is exactly what Trump is doing right now, because he's saying, no, no, no. Hey, stupid. Look over here to the right. No, no, no. Stupid. Look over here to the left. Don't look at me. Look over my head. Look at my feet. Look to the right. Look to the left, because I don't want you to see what I'm really doing. And what he's really doing is he's looking at these followers, not the follower like what you were describing, um, the individual that wanted to say fuck you to the establishment. I'm talking about the real sycophant, the real Donald Trump follower that, like myself, prior to waking up, and again, I always say this, I didn't wake up on my own. I got thrown under the bus by this animal, all right? What he's looking for are those followers to turn around and to support his lifestyle at $4.99 a month when he opens up his Trump TV network, that's who he's looking for. And he already realizes, I don't need the 100 million followers that I have on social media. All I really need is 30 million or 25 of them, 25% of my followers, if they're really, really with me, right? They're really loyal to the Donald Trump core. I can get $5, $4.99 out of them. That's 100 million a month that's going to be coming in and he's going to end up already doing a deal with OAN. He's going to do a deal with Newsmax in order to jump on their platform. So I see it more as misdirection than anything else. But, you know, Penn, you once said that the antidote for bad ideas is more ideas. But in reality, where the marketplace of ideas is controlled by algorithms, doesn't this fall apart and simply reward the loudest voice in the room? Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, that... That was Thomas Jefferson, you know, in the basic idea of the marketplace of ideas. Um, yes, I was wrong about um, a huge amount of things. Uh, I really thought that um, 
the, the answer to bad speech was more speech. And it seems like right now we're hitting a, uh, hitting a time that's showing that to not be true. I am a um, pathological optimist. I, uh, I see things um, in a positive sense, even, even when things are, uh, are, are clearly not that way. I think we'll outgrow that. I want to address your, uh, your idea of uh, misdirection. You know, I know too much about misdirection to use it that poetically. Uh, because, uh, you know, there's, there's some terms of art in there that are a little bit too arcane to deal with. But certainly using it as a synonym for distraction, that's what Donald Trump's doing. I want to ask you, um, the idea that you'll be able to put out a huge amount of content, I question. Because uh, when Donald Trump does his rallies, he's doing 95 minutes and it pretty much is the same 95 minutes that um, the news is pulling out their cherry picking here and there. Do you think if he's on television for two hours a day, he can say entertaining things enough to hold 25 million people? Ah, great question, Penn. And this should be your show. But the answer to that is actually very simple. He's going to follow the MSNBC, the CNN method, which is, if you think about it, they basically talk about the same thing all day long, 24-7. I remember going back you know, years ago when Ted Turner was first starting CNN, people were laughing at him when he took his money and he backed up a concept of 24-7 news cycle. And everybody said the same thing that you're saying now. There's just not enough content. And I say bullshit. There's more than enough. If you watch CNN, 90% of their shows are all about COVID-19. And, and they're accurate to be, to be doing it that way. And certainly it's not for me to tell someone like Jeff Zucker how to run the network because they're making tremendous profits. So they're doing well. It's not going to be a Donald Trump show for two hours a day. Now, he may have his own show or he may just show up on shows, but I believe he's going to go for the Megyn Kellys who's desperate to find a job. I think he's going to grab a Sean Hannity. There's already people like Sean Spicer, the schmuck, right, who has a show, <laughs> right, the Dancing with the Stars Fool, right, with those fat little legs of his. I mean, you know, there are enough people out there that will follow the script and each one of them will have a one-hour show. And Donald Trump will call in like he does on Fox, which is, of course, why he's attacking Fox now every single day, because he's preparing the Fox viewers. You don't want to watch Fox anymore, my friends. It's all about Trump. And at the Trump television network, you're going to get the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the Donald truth. So help you God at four ninety nine a month. Right. That's what's going on here. So maybe my term of art of misdirection is not the appropriate one. That's exactly the game that he's up to. And anybody that doesn't see it is actually out of their mind. He doesn't need he doesn't even need 25 million. He only really needs six million, eight million, ten million. Right. Well, not not necessarily, because for Donald, it's all about the numbers. And even if he has 
6 million or 10 million people. He'll say he has 25 million. He'll say he's 50. The man is a fucking pathological liar about everything. For example, I'm watching on television and listening and reading his tweets, which are nonstop stupidity, especially the ones that are in bold. When you see the ones that are capped and in bold, you know that it's a fucking lie right off the rip. All right. So he turns around and he says that wait, wait till you find out we have great news coming. But guess what? It's like a magic trick. It's never coming. You're never going to figure it out because it's never showing itself up. But, you know, Penn, you brought up that whole thing about Donald Trump using the N-word and people getting angry at you. People got angry at me as well because just as soon as um, I started coming forward and doing television and all forms of media, everybody kept asking me, well, tell us about that tape. There's a special uh, apprentice tape where he used the N-word, and I think it was about Kwame. Well, that's not how he described Kwame to me. He described Kwame Jackson to me, who happens to be a fine human being, brilliant guy from Harvard. He called him a black fag, right? Now, I think that that's enough to, call, to be considered <laughs> a racist and a homophobe, right? You don't need to use the N-word because, and I've said this, Many, many times, I have never heard Donald Trump use the N-word. I've heard Don Jr. use it on more than a handful, actually more than a handful of occasions. But I've never heard Donald Trump Sr. ever use the word. You've, now, you said that you didn't hear it on The Apprentice either. But people attacked me and saying, why are you standing up for him? Why are you protecting him? You got to stop being his protector. He certainly didn't protect you. And it bothered me. A lot, because I'm not going to make shit up. I've actually I told, right, I, other than lying about the number of times I had conversations with him about a failed real estate project, I really, I, I take offense to it. I'm not this liar that Donald Trump tried to create um, as a, you know, as a second image of me, the convicted liar. I lied for him. Yeah, I lied to Melania that he was having these affairs, right? I lied to Congress about the number of times that we spoke about the failed real estate project and, the, and that I didn't speak to Ivanka and, and Don Jr. and Eric and so on and so forth. But when it comes to this, no different than when I said that he does not beat Melania and that there are no P-tapes. People have to just accept my word as my word. And I just don't get that. I just get a lot of pushback from a lot of people that hate Trump. Now, I want them to, yeah. to listen to me very carefully. As much as you think that you hate him, I hate him more. The man yeah. turned my entire life upside down. He destroyed my family's happiness. And for that, I despise him post-mortem. I want to ask you uh, something I, uh, I don't think you've been asked in all the questions. Uh, when I was around Don Jr., Don Jr.'s view towards his father, this is in Apprentice days, was he considered his father a dipshit. Um, he talked to me and said that his father fucked up all these business deals and Don Jr. had to go in and fix them. In your experience, does John Jr. and Ivanka, and never mind Eric, Eric's just an idiot, but uh, Don Jr. and Ivanka, do they think their dad is a dipshit? It sure seemed it to me. 
Yes. Yeah, so dipshit is a kind word in comparison to some <laughs> of the things that they have said behind. And in the book Disloyal, I talk about it quite a bit of the the um, the fighting, the family fighting that would go on on a regular basis, especially between father and, and son, meaning Don, uh, Donald and Don. Um, some horrific, horrific stuff. Yeah. And I, I didn't like it, so I would, I would sometimes walk out of the room and I would just say, I don't want to be a part of this, right? This is between the two of you. There was a lot of real animus between the two of them. And Don Jr. would always say, my father's dumb as shit. And interestingly enough, Donald Trump Sr. would always say that Don Jr. has the worst fucking judgment of anyone he has ever met in his life. Now, whether or not, now, whether or not. They're both example, right. They're both right. That's the saddest part. And then Ivanka would kind of swoop in and try to be the, you know, the, the peacemaker and so on. Interestingly enough, and people ask me this all the time, who's the smartest of the three kids, right? It's actually Don Jr. is innately the brightest. Who's the shortest basketball player? That's what you're asking. Yes. <laughs> I think it was Spud Webb. But, um, yeah. <laughs> But, but anyway, what, what ended up, Ivanka is just fake. She needs to have questions in advance. There's a lot of practice, not just the way she speaks, but the way the hair is blowing the whole nine yards. She's like her father. She thinks she's a performer. And Eric is just dumb as shit, right? But Don Jr. is legitimately the smartest innately. The problem, though, is he has no self-confidence because his father has ripped that out of him since he was a child. He has no self-confidence. But it's interesting that you said to me that Don would say that his father had fucked up certain businesses. Yeah, but they were his to fuck up. Don Jr. brought in a handful of businesses like Trump Mortgage that I talk about in the, in the book. Yeah. And first and foremost, the guy he brought in should never have been brought in. And anybody who would do three seconds of due diligence would have known that. The business, every business that Don Jr. has gone into on his own or brought into the company has turned out to be a complete failure. So it's interesting that you have one failure commenting about another failure by the but, father, uh, by the son, because they're both failures in my eyes. Don, uh, uh, Don Trump senior has also not been, uh, had successful business deals. I mean, he has less money than his father left him. You cannot be a good businessman and have less money than your father leaves you. You know, has he had a really successful business? Nothing other than, you know, playing the part of a billionaire totally fraudulently, right? Right. Look, they all talk about each other behind their backs. I'll never forget Don, Ivanka, and Eric came to my office right after Trump made the announcement and made the stupid comments about Mexicans. And all of a sudden, they started losing a ton and a half of money, whether it was at Mar-a-Lago, whether it was at um, the other courses like the Doral, people just walking away and saying, hey, we can't do our events here. Half the people don't want to show up because we're that, we're that incensed and enraged at this ridiculous racist comment. The three of them said to me, you have to go talk to dad and you have to get dad to stop this. Even Judge Barry called me up and said, what is, what's going on with my brother? He's an idiot. Well, it's funny, though, how the father calls the son an idiot. The son, the daughter, and the other son call the father an idiot. Well, here's the bottom line. They're all a bunch of fucking idiots. So let's just agree to that. You get no argument from me. In an interview with Vulture a few years ago, 
You said the reason you liked Donald Trump was because you like people without filters. And apparently it was in the context of telling Don Jr. why you liked his father so much. And I think they even said, I made a movie called The Aristocrats. I like people when they don't have filters. I like Tiny Tim. I like Bob Dylan. I like Neil Young. I like Sun Ra. I love the beat poets, which means if I'm in a room with Trump, I'm happy to hear him talk. But I'm also happy to hear Charlie Manson talk. I have nothing good to say about Donald Trump as president. What did you mean by that? It's, it's pretty clear, you know, uh, it was an odd conversation because uh, Don Jr. took me aside and said, of all the people who have been on Celebrity Apprentice, you're the only one who seems to like my father. And uh, I then explained to him, I mean, uh, the, the quotation I like to use is Thelonious Monk, who said, um, uh, the genius is the one who is most like himself. And I find myself drawn, you know, the, the mystery of what it means to be a human being, the mystery of what it means to be locked in ourselves trying to reach out to other people. That is the question that art and communication is trying to, to solve, trying to enlighten. And we find people who, uh, who break through all the filters we have. We get some small glimpses of another person's heart unfiltered. Now, the purest way to uh, get through those filters is someone like Bob Dylan, who is able to uh, use genius and hard work, uh, you know, Nobel laureate Bob Dylan, to actually give us a glimpse of another human heart in, in a pure state. Then there's other people who, because of um, uh, perhaps mental illness, perhaps being on the spectrum, like Tiny Tim or Sun Ra, are able to do that. There's other people who are able to do it with, with drugs. And Donald Trump, through a lack of shame and uh, a kind of uh, psychotic avarice and greed, was able to just sit in a room in front of us and just talk this stream of consciousness that was, um, that was almost poetic. And it's very hard to say this um, in a way that doesn't give him credit. The fact that I was fascinated by the um, sick purity of his speech does not mean any respect at all. It's why I use the example of Charlie Manson, uh, because we do see glimpses into uh, into humanity, even when even when we're dealing with something really really bad and immoral. I want to ask you a question uh, because I've said this many times, and you're someone who can refute me, and because uh, you know more about it than I do. In the times I was around Donald Trump, two things made my blood run cold. One was but I never heard him make a joke or laugh at a joke. No, I'm defining joke as something other than, ha, 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 you're a fat pig. 
he would do taunting and unpleasantness, but I mean an actual joke with a hearty laughter following it. I never saw that from Donald Trump, and I never saw him appreciate music. I sat next to him and stood next to him when people were playing live music and didn't get a sense that he even knew where the beat was. Did you ever see him appreciate music or appreciate comedy with his heart in a way that was not fake? So let's break that down into two. The first has to do with comedy. And I've been very clear about this, both in the book, on this podcast, as well as in the press. Donald Trump has no sense of humor. None. Donald Trump does not joke. I remember once telling Trump um, a joke, which was about him. Uh, and it's very funny, but it's he, he was almost like, huh, is that really a joke? Right. Do a lot of people like the joke? Because it was about him. It wasn't about the joke. It was about whether it was received well because it was about him. He has no sense of humor at all, at all. However, as it relates to music, he does appreciate music. Not, not like um, Rachmaninoff or, you know, the, the classics. He's not a jazz guy. He likes Neil Young a lot. And I remember one time sitting in his office he turned around. I have no idea who Neil Young was, right? I mean, I, I, I just didn't. He's not somebody that was in my, you know, in my sphere of listening. I knew the songs. I just didn't know that they were Neil Young, right? Uh, and I'm sitting in his office, and he says to me, "What are you doing tonight?" And I said, "I don't know. I'm with, you know, Laura, and we'll probably, you know, go out for dinner or something like that." He says, "Why don't you come with me and Melania?" I said, oh, where are you going? He goes to the Neil Young concert. And I said, yeah, I don't really. He goes, you'll really appreciate it. I'm sure you know all the songs. And I was like, okay. So he was like, well, you know, we'll pick you up. And he did. He sent the car to come get me. And then we went to him. And then we went to Madison Square Garden together, which was a, which was a, it was a real trip, right? Um, but, you know, he shakes his head. The body moves to the left and to the right. You know, that's generally what happens when there's a lot of body to move. And, you know, he's bopping <laughs> to the beat. And it's, it's so I do think he has a certain appreciation for some types of music, but he's not a musical aficionado, so, you know, so to speak. But, you know, it also then brings up the whole issue of what you were referring to before about Donald Trump in that in that article. People always ask me, why the hell did you stay so long? Why did you stay loyal to him? And the thing that people want to ignore is the fact that when I first started working for Donald Trump in 2007, we had, these, we had The Apprentice. We had the Miss Universe organization. There was real estate going all over the place, new acquisitions, interesting things going on. Donald Trump, in all fairness, was larger than life. And I don't believe when people say, oh, I would never work for him. You wouldn't work for him now because now he's just a fucking pig. And, and he's just disgraceful as a human being with lacking of empathy or care for anyone in the world. That I can acknowledge and I appreciate. But when people say to me, how could you ever have worked for him in the first place? That's not the reception that he used to get when he would walk out of Trump Tower and walk down the street or the reception that he got, even in Madison Square Garden, when we went to that Neil Young concert. So it's always easy 
to forget about the past and only look for today, which is unfair. But they are correct when they say, with all the things that you write about in the book and all of the things that he had said over the years, how could you possibly have stayed with him? And that's when I talk about the Trump cult and the fact that you put aside, unfortunately, a lot of the negatives because you're waiting for that glimpse of positive. And I would wait and wait and wait. And then there would be one. And it would sort of negate all of the bad shit that he would do to me and to those that I was working with. And it would negate all of the things that he had me doing on his behalf that I really knew were morally wrong, that I should not have done. But I did it anyway because it was a directive from a man who at the time I had really looked up to. Wow. It's, it's, it's amazing how, uh, how powerful momentum is and how, um, yeah, how we get, how we get looped into those things. It's just, uh, it's just remarkable. I wanted to ask you going back to the Neil Young question, which really interests me, how can Donald Trump at his campaign rallies play you can't always get what you want, YMCA, and Fortunate Son. I mean, those are three songs that if you were trying to pick parodies of things Donald Trump would play, I mean, playing for a presidential candidate to play, you can't always get what you want. For, for, for a man of privilege to play Fortunate Son, which John Fogarty wrote, about people like Donald Trump dodging the draft and, and and dodging taxes, and then to play YMCA, which is, you know, the most pro-gay song that's ever been <laughs> on the top top of the charts, and Macho Man, how, how who picks those, and how do they get played without Donald Trump being afraid they'll be perceived ironically. So interestingly enough, he picks the songs himself. I watched as he wrote down a list of 20 songs that he wanted, both for the inauguration, and this is true, he did it himself. What I also know, because like Steven Tyler from Aerosmith is a friend of mine. I have the world of respect for him. He is the kindest soul that I have yes, ever met. And he is a wonderful girl named Amy that's by his side yeah. all the time that I know very well. I just spoke to them, um, you know, for Thanksgiving. They are the, the sweetest people. Yes, and he they didn't are. Want, he didn't want Trump using Aerosmith in any of his rallies. And so they send a cease and desist. So how do they use them? They use them until they get the cease and desist. Why he's using these? You're right. It's a parody. Nobody knows why. Trump is just, he just doesn't care. So he will continue to do things regardless of whether or not anybody, you know, um, is listening or not. It, they just don't, he just doesn't care. But I also want to bring up to you, you were on Celebrity Apprentice, as you said, twice, correct? Yes. Which seasons were they? I did, uh, uh, I forgot the number, but I did uh, the final Celebrity Apprentice, uh, and then I did the All-Stars. Right. So That's I came right. back the All I couldn't two years in a row. Which yeah. one. Right. In an interview, you also said that being on Celebrity Apprentice changed you as an entertainer. It made you less aggressive. And when you have a camera on you 15 to 18 hours a day, you can't really fake it. Talk to me about what you meant here, and how did Donald Trump play a role in all of this? 
Well, you know, uh, it was really weird because some people on Celebrity Apprentice seemed to believe that the show was real. You know, they would say, we're going into the boardroom. And I would say, we're not going into the boardroom. We're going into a boardroom set. It's a set. And they would say, you know, we're, we're trying not to get fired. And I would say, Donald Trump can't fire you. We're not trying to get a job from Donald Trump. The only way Donald Trump could ever hire me is to perform in his two casinos, both of which he brought into the ground. He had no job to offer me. So we were just pretending. Uh, I considered it to be a uh, comedy improvisational show. We were playing roles. When I was on that show, I considered myself to be a peer of Donald Trump, not working for him because I couldn't work for him. He didn't do the hiring and firing on Celebrity Apprentice. That was NBC. But when you're on camera that much, you can't fake it for that long. So when I would do shows like Bullshit, I was playing a character who was very aggressive and very mean. And that was the comedic uh, structure of that show. But on Celebrity Apprentice, uh, Annie Duke, the great poker player, was on Celebrity Apprentice. She was great. She was an absolute, she was a rock star. Uh, sh she's a good friend of mine. And I said to Annie, why am I going on Celebrity Apprentice? And she said, you're going on to show that atheists can be kind. She said, that's your only job. <laughs> that was my focus the whole show. The first thing I wanted to do was make sure that the American Atheist Association brought in more money for the Christian charity. I wanted to make sure that I showed that I had a range of friends that other people would find shocking, that Lawrence O'Donnell Jr. is one of my best friends, and that Glenn Beck was also a good friend of mine. I wanted to show on that show a kind of um, expansiveness of heart and a kind of um, gentleness. It was really fun for me to, um, you know, there's a great line uh, by Mick Jagger, all your sickness, I'll just suck it up, throw it at me, I'll just shrug it off. I liked people saying mean and hateful things to me and being able to try to turn that around into kindness. And that was really fun. And watching somebody as crazy as Donald Trump incompetently pontificating. You know, they would have him speak. You know this very well. They would have him speak in the boardroom set for two hours and 15 minutes to get three minutes that were usable. <laughs> and he would do these crazy things like pulling stuff from the internet written by like a 15-year-old child in his basement saying that he had made a bad real estate deal and would say stuff like, uh, you know, uh, Dennis, Dennis Rodman, what do you think about what he said? And just these long, ranting, rambling things and I just thought I was seeing a glimpse of uh, a side of humanity that I'd never seen. And as I told you, you know, for, for two years, I was homeless. 
I was hitchhiking around the country and I never saw the kind of craziness that I saw in Donald Trump up close. So I was there most of the time uh, with him during the filming, going from 2007 all the way to the very end. Uh, he even made me co-president of Trump Productions. So I worked very closely with the folks from NBC, uh, you know, as well. And I was there for all of that. I've had Dennis Rodden. I've just about had everybody coming into my office at one point in time, um, you know, or another. But, you know, one of the things that we did talk about earlier were about those tapes. And everybody believes that there are tapes of Donald Trump saying stupid shit that's on them. You know, because in the past, you've refused to respond to any of that because you felt it would be unfair to Donald Trump. Even in an interview, you said you want someone capricious and petty and narcissistic to be on your reality show. And boy, I hate to say this, but playing tapes of him doing that job might be unfair. I want those tapes to be used against him, but it might be unfair. Describe what you meant from there, because again, I was there when he would call on, on Dennis Rodman who unfortunately had just raided my office and took my Trump vodka bottle. That was the first one that came off the assembly line because they shut him down at the bar. I never heard him say any of those things that people, again, want me to say. And I'm not so sure that I even understand why it would make him worse of a human being than all of the terrible things that he has done and said over the past six years since he decided to really run. What's, what did you mean by that? Well, I meant, I meant exactly that. You can argue, you might be wrong, but you could argue that when Donald Trump was on Celebrity Apprentice, he was, he was playing a character. Um, and so when you're working in an improvisational uh, comedy drama show, a reality show, doing improvisation, uh, that is not your true self. You're aware there's a camera on, you're aware of your job. So I do think that's a little unfair, but the argument is insane because you do not need anything Donald Trump said on NBC to damn him. God damn him to hell for what he did as himself, as president of the United States of America, and when running for that position. God damn him to hell for all of that. It's on record. We know it. We do not need to sneak around and pull tapes that might not be fair. Completely fair and dead to rights. We have him as the worst president of the United States we have ever had, and probably responsible for around 100,000 deaths from COVID. He is a clear villain with what is straight in front of our eyes. We do not need to sneak around. We do not need to cheat. We can be fair and honest and kind and still realize he is a fucking loser who did true damage to his country and everything that I love. And to his own company and to his own brand as well. But, you know, Penn, sure. that's right. Um, and you know what? Uh, amen to that, as my, as my friends always used to say, especially a couple of pastor friends, you know, there's a special place <laughs> in hell for people like Donald Trump and his family. But as we're closing down the hour, I have two fast questions for you left. 
Sure. If the president asked you to perform for him and his family at the White House, would you actually do it? You think he has an appreciation of magic um, or does it not register beyond what you know they would be doing in ticket sales or ratings? Very much like the question you asked me about music. I uh, no. The answer is no. Uh, I already feel uh, creepy for how much uh, <clears throat> for how affiliated I was with him on Celebrity Apprentice before I had all the information. I would certainly not be involved with him now and performing uh, for him. Uh, I have the advantage over uh, the Rolling Stones and Neil Young and uh, the Village People in that he can't have me perform without me being there and I would not be there. So let me ask you this. Hypothetically, if you said yes, that for a price that you know you would perform, what magic trick would you actually perform? Because if I knew how to do magic, I'd like to be able to take out of thin air and make like a shit pie and smash it right <laughs> in his fucking face and say, this is for Michael Cohen. This is for hurting Michael's wife and his children and for absolutely lying to the American people about everything. What, what would be your magic trick? I would probably do a trick that we did uh, with burning the American flag. We did a trick that we did on uh, the West Wing that is the most patriotic thing we've ever done. And it's about freedom of speech and about love for the country and about dissent and about how we have to treat people who disagree with us. Uh, I think I would do that trick with no hope that Donald Trump would understand it for a moment, but maybe with hope that others would. Interesting. Yep, I remember that. Well, Penn, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything. Uh, and, you know, please, obviously, don't listen to this idiot in chief. Safe social distance, wear your mask, right? Keep your hands clean, right? <laughs> and, Absolutely. Um, you, and you be well, my friend. And thank you. It's so good to see you. And you'll be well. And I'm so sorry for all that's happened to you, Michael. That's, that's okay. Re I'm looking forward to revenge. I, I, li okay. I like that. I, I like that. Thank you so much. Peter. Okay. Thanks a lot, baby. Peace. Bye, bye now. Penn Gillette is a master of illusion and misdirection. He has spent his life going on stage in front of an audience and making them believe they saw things that they didn't. He works with sleight of hand and the power of suggestion and probably a few skills only the greatest of magicians have mastered. Donald Trump in many ways is very much the same. Not that he and Penn Gillette are remotely alike, but his ability to make millions of people believe in his lies through misdirection and the power of suggestion is beyond comprehension. And he continues to operate at peak ability. Sure, the election is lost and he will never change the result, but he has nonetheless cast doubt about its legitimacy in the minds of millions of MAGA faithful while filling his coffers with hundreds of millions of dollars in donations. This may prove to be his greatest trick yet, not winning or losing the election, but the post-election limbo and uncertainty that he has created. As we approach the final days of his administration, you are seeing the panic set in for a subset of hardcore Trump loyalists who broke the law and sold their souls for the president. 
Time is running out for Trump to either pardon them for their crimes or offer them a seat on the Magistan Express to Mar-a-Lago, where they can feast on the small-dollar donations Trump hustled from millions of Americans who believed his baseless claims. Still, once that clock stops ticking, the indictments will begin to fly. The trick is to keep this moment going, keep the ball in the air, and keep the FBI at bay until Trump can either pardon them or they can figure another way out of this terrible mess. And that is the dark magic that lurks within Donald Trump. And thanks for listening. Maya Culp was brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick, and executive producer, Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. again? Uh, 1240. Down at the end. Ooh, what's that? Sammy, don't touch that. That's someone's old food. Here we are. Do you have the key? You have both of ours. Oh, right. Not working. Rub it. Come on. Try flipping it over. Seriously. Why can't we go inside? Just, honey, let me try. I'm tired. Give me yours. You have mine. All right. What? Please, if you Dad, could just... why aren't you opening the door? Honey, can everyone just shut the... Don't go there. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing. Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, a top 10 university for online bachelor's programs. Tap to learn more or visit us at asuonline.asu.edu. When you're expecting, you want the best for your new baby in every way. That's why Chalk partners with new parents to help you keep your child healthy from day one and as they grow. Our primary care network offers more than 20 convenient locations, wellness services for both physical and mental health, and access to an entire children's health system if you need it. Because we're not just pediatricians. We're your partner for whatever comes your way. Visit our website at chalk.org slash find a pediatrician to learn more.